These vast, calm, measureless mountain days, days in whose light everything seems equally divine, opening a thousand windows to show us God. Christ lives in the heart of a champion. That was none other than John Muir. He's the godfather of the code, isn't he? Yeah, he's one of them. He's like the grand godfather of the code. Ah. Yeah. The Godfather's Godfather. Gotcha. Right. Bear Grylls is Godfather. Yes. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are back from those mountain days. Um, we have an exciting, exceptional episode today. An exceptionally exciting episode today. Either way you want to say it. Yeah. We've yeah. we are back from the mountain which the thing that I'm excited about is we're gonna do a podcast episode today on wilderness and men doing manly things. Going out into the woods, getting dirty and smelly, and surviving. And boy, the harrowing tales that we will be able to tell. And if they're not that harrowing, we will beef them up a little bit and add a little extra mustard. It's going to be true. I mean, there's Sasquatch stories in this and everything. Wow. It's true. So this is a bona fide code trip, then. Oh, yeah. In the studio today, we also have, we're breaking the record. Previously, the most we have had on an episode is four voices, four people. But today we're breaking a record and we have five because we've brought into our studio today two of our guests, two of our code men that went on this trip with me to Grand Teton National Park. So you've heard about them before uh, on the podcast. I think we told that Mr. Uh, Garrett G.J. Jackson otherwise known as Sweet Treat, Sweet Tin Man, Tin Man, Man, Metal Ark, Goose. <laughs> some of these I've not heard before, but that's okay. Yeah, we're some, just making them up as we some go. Some of them just kind of just sporadically generate. You never know what's going to come out of his True. mouth over here. And there's not been an official vote yet. No, he, he doesn't have an official trail name yet, but he's really worked hard on it. The prop, it's not his fault. It's, hey. not, no. it's not your fault. It's It's the lack of getting a group of code men together to officially yeah, vote. Well, here we are. How many is needed for a quorum? Five. Ah. Yeah, we're one short. Man, we're a fry short. And I mean, you guys with. haven't been on a trip in like ages, so you've almost lost your credentials. Hmm. Hmm. That's, um... <laughs> well, I was going to say, technically, I have been on a trip with him, and I've seen some of his etiquette. Oh, that's right. To and from, so yeah. I could I could vote, but we need five folks who've been on the trail with him. Or just five that are official men of the code. They don't even have to have been on the trail with him. They can take our recommendation. We can refer, make a recommendation for a name and tell why. And it just needs to have an element of truth to well, it. Well, we got, we got four official code guys in here with them, and then we have code men who are listening. We can do one of those phone-in things. What if oh, we okay. went and got Franklin, who is Ah, Franklin. Here. Yes. <laughs> well, let's introduce our second guest before <laughs> this completely goes off the rails. 
We also have in the studio another uh, code man who has been referenced a few times, and the world wonders whether or not he's ever been in studio before. <laughs> he's known as the quiet man. This is my uh, middle son, Nathaniel, and he's here today. He's literally here. We can see him. Hello. And he speaks. <laughs> That's about as much as you're going to get, folks. <laughs> kind of was a crackled hello. <laughs> but anyway, uh, good to have everybody here today. We're going to do an exciting podcast, a little re- review of our trip to the Tetons. And I do think we learned a lot. And, boy, I tell you, you, can't, you cannot compare, you know, just going to the mountains and trails around our, our area, which are nice, but as you, you know, they're not comparable to going out west to these places where their mountains make ours look like molehills. So, so what we have literally done on the east coast is made mountains out of molehills. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So word on the street is that inquiring minds want to know about our trip, and, well, you two are the closest thing we've got to minds. You know, man. <laughs> Don't see, you I knew this. I knew this was going to happen. As soon as he comes back, oh, this happens all the time. I get interrupted. Oh, you're the closest thing to mine. No more code credentials. Hey, by the way, before we go any further with that, yeah. you, you guys went over Trekless. Yes, we did. On, on podcast. How did that feel? Freeing? Wonderful. Liberating? That <laughs> chair is so comfortable. It I mean, felt like we were able to come in, get what needed to get done, not done, get, abused. get, get out. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. Hit the table without fear of judgment. This was a judgment-free zone. This it was really the Planet was. Fitness of podcasts last week. Huh. <laughs> I don't even know if you hit the table last week. I don't think I did. There yeah. was no need to. So, in to. other words, there was no passion last oh, week. Oh, there was no, passion. No, there was a lot of passion. <laughs> you, a whole lot of passion. You. <laughs> okay. We're calling this episode Meditations from Middle Teton, and we'll explain that as we go along, but I guess it's a little self-explanatory. What did we experience? What did we learn from our trip to... The Tetons, and particularly the climb of Middle Teton. We're going to give Mr. Jackson the the temporary title of Tin Man uh, because we think that it's uh, got the lead uh, in the the polling. So, uh, Tin Man, welcome to the Undisclosed Location, the Code of Man recording studio. Thank you. Glad to have you today. How are you feeling now that you've been back for a handful of days? Feeling great. Um, Catching up on sleep was definitely... You know, top of the priority priority list, um, but feeling good, feeling refreshed, and I, and I appreciate the opportunity to have time to reflect. A lot of stuff comes to mind as you have that time to look back. You know, in the moment uh, of the trip, you know you're processing a lot, and it, it's a new experience. But these few days after the trip have been very valuable to me. So, and you had done you've done some backpacking in your past, and just recently started doing some trips with us here locally but have you ever done anything comparable to this one absolutely not it was completely new it's like you mentioned you know these mountains are true mountains as we're you know compared to what we're we experience around here it was something i've never done before hope to do again the day you're doing it you're thinking okay done got this find something else to do in life and then you know a day after you get home you're thinking i'd like to i'd like to do that one more time yeah, definitely. Um, like I said, the, the time to reflect um, has made me appreciate what we went through and, and what we experienced. Uh, but I know there's other things out there to do and would look forward to that, definitely. That's why we're talking Mount Next Whitney. Year. Yeah, well, Mount Whitney. 
You're talking about Whitley. <laughs> <laughs> so then, of course, we have Quiet Man with us, as we mentioned a moment ago. Welcome to our studio, Mr. Quiet Man. Thank you. Any any words of uh, since you have come come back home, been here, and refreshed yourself? Mm, I don't feel refreshed. Still working on it. Other than being home to my new wife, I just assume be back on the mountain. Ah, felt a lot nicer out there. Well, I think that's some insight right there. Talking about weather-wise, experience-wise, everything. So, in other words, if a quiet man could take his wife with him, he would become quiet mountain man. That's about it. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) All right. That about sums it up. That's it. Good podcast episode. That's Tune it. in next That's all week. I got to say about that. <laughs> so here's here's what I'm doing. I'm I'm tallying up the amount of words that Quiet Man is saying versus the amount of times that Easy Target hits the table. <laughs> and so far, it's it's close, folks. <laughs> it's a close neck and neck. I like that. Way yeah. to pass the time. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Way to pay attention to the conversation. But hey, you do you. We yield. There's that another cleared. one. Man. <laughs> We yield the microphone to you. Well, I I want to know this this question came up while while you were talking because we've been on mountains with Overtrek before, didn't have the opportunity on this one. I just want to know how many times was the phrase "Well, these mountains aren't going to climb themselves" get said throughout the course of that trip? You know, I think I recall that a few times, um, but I'll be honest with you at that elevation. There's not a whole lot of extra talking when you're sucking wind every, what, t- felt like every 100 feet having to stop. So yeah. It was minimal. It yeah, was less it was, than it was normal. definitely minimal, yeah. I would say. Absolutely. That's what I was just wondering, because mm. that's, like that's like a staple of, of Overtrek trail dialogue. Yeah. Just I'm going to write a book. And call it. Well, well these, mountains these mountains aren't going to climb gonna, themselves. Yes. Oh, you're going to call it Jorge's versa. Well... I, I'm glad you brought that up. So that's an interesting story. What do you say? You can call it Jorge's well, I, what? Will Jorge's, Jorge's versa. versa. Jorge's versa. We will, we will have said. to explain yeah. that because the uh, this episode will actually be called Meditations from Middle Teton, a.k.a. Jorge's Versa, which is what we have dubbed this trip. So y'all are well, just going to... That's a puzzled look. Is that your little quiet joke, your little inside thing? So it, they all start giggling. They say, Jorge, they, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's something about the trip. And then they, they just stop talking. Sorry, you had to be gonna, there. We're going to explain that. We just didn't want to hijack the uh, however you wanted to... Uh, oh. All right, so let's, for, for chop block editing purposes, Jorge's Versa is what segues us into serious I, conversation. I like where you're going with this. Okay. So, Jorge. Wait a minute. We're going to have serious conversations? Versa. Apparently not. <laughs> Go. So, for the, the grandmother who's listening right now, or the individual who's, on, who's listening to this podcast who doesn't listen that much, is not very familiar with where you were going or, or what all this trip entailed, can you just give us a quick little, very brief overview summary of... That's a lot of synonyms for quick. You sound kind of like Easy Target talking over there. You know what? Goodness. Just give us a quick overview of the whole trip. You know, when did you leave? Where did you go? How long were you there? What did you what what main mountain did you climb? Just so the listener gets a, an overview of, of set what the all parameters. You did. Yeah. 
Well, I will uh, defer to my uh, hiking compatriots here. And by the way, we're missing one. There were four of us on the trip. We took a gentleman by the name of Josh J.T. Stone. I just made that that little middle name up. but He's going to be like, my middle name's Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there were four of us, and uh, of course... You know, my primary duty on these uh, adventures is uh, setting the, the the plan, the trails, the camping, you know, all the the, the stuff on the ground, the, the battle plan. But on this trip, we had 10 men who served as, I, I called him our S4, which is military terminology for the logistics guy. And he set up our travel plans and tickets, got us some uh, housing where we got to sleep at least uh, three hours the first night when we got That's on the true. ground. Mm-hmm. So uh, lay out for us, 10 men, we'll defer to you to lay out for us uh, travel. How, you know, how do you get there from here? So you get there, you get a wonderful shuttle by our friend right here who took oh, us to yeah. the airport. He, you had a part in this story. That's me. A very vital part, I might add. Thanks. We'd still be sitting here. Small, but not for him. True. Man. Got a shuttle over to the airport on Sunday afternoon. Um, flew out from our undisclosed location, connected through, an, I suppose, another undisclosed location, and into uh, Salt Lake City and picked up Jorge's Versa. There. Yeah, I so, see where we're going with this. So, this, uh, in this particular environment, rental cars are. What, $850? Too much. Way, way too much. And so we used a a different service um, that allows folks to basically rent out their personal cars um, to travelers like us. And we took that up, took up that offer from a gentleman named Jorge. Yeah. Um, And he drove a Versa. It's all making sense now. I got it now. Absolutely. Rented it. But the depth of this. Oh, just rented this beautiful Versa to us. Um, <laughs> two cylinder. With, yeah, two <laughs> cylinder, complete caps. with three hubcaps. Yes. yes. Three hubcaps. The other one's still spinning somewhere. Don't Let's know where just it's say at. that the definition of a Hertz or an Alamo, a budget, when they say, you know, clean, <laughs> whatever, it's not the same when you're using this other service necessarily. Did, did it have one of those clown horns on it? <laughs> <laughs> Comes pedaling up on it. It should have. And <laughs> our pickup location, um, basically where, where the rental all took place, was at a gas station. Well, which, is, yeah. which the guy pulled into the airport to pick us up and said, uh, uh, yeah, I'll load you guys up, and I don't have the accent right, but he said, uh, we're going to drive over to the gas station and we'll do the deal. <laughs> See, that wow. was going to be one of my questions. <laughs> Eventually, I was going to ask, you know, you got the dragon lady. You got Carter. There's all these characters, and I'm always oh, a yeah. common denominator. But now I want to know, was there a character? And it sounds like there was. Yeah. That sounds like we had But in one. fairness, Jorge himself was actually a really friendly, sure. you know, accommodating guy. But we can really play it up. I mean, because his car was less than stellar. Hey, you know how uh, we went to uh, Colorado last year? Yes. And and when we went to Grand Canyon two years ago, Quiet Man and I, or three years ago, whatever it was, every time you go to a regular rental place, when you get there, this is their standard operating procedure. You go up to the desk, you know, they start the process of checking you in to get your car, and they say, hey, what brings you to our area? And, you know, and you tell them, oh, we're going up to backpack at Grand Teton, and the next thing out of their mouth will be, oh, well, you probably don't want to take this car you rented up there. It's not going to make it up the, those mountains. Yes. Okay. Every time before, we laughed it off. Ha, ha, ha. You're trying to uh, 
pull one over on us. Just give me the keys. This time, Jorge's Versa literally <laughs> almost did not make it up the mountains, okay? Yeah, and driving out of the airport, um, I think when you leave Salt Lake City, you go uh, the incline to Park City, Utah, I think is, you know, I think you're ascending for probably about 10 miles. Mm. And all I remember, because this was, what, middle of the night, was that we left Salt Lake City with a full tank of gas, and about 10 miles later, we had three-quarters of a tank of gas just running straight up. It was crazy. A few times that, uh, which uh, Tin Man drove most of the time, and and there were a few times he turned the AC off just so we would have enough power to get up the hill. (laughs) Yep, that is very true. (laughs) Guilty. Because I guess that paints the picture of the difference then in terrain, because we had a something like a Camry or something like that. I mean, just mm-hmm. a a small car and put putted along all through the Rockies in Colorado. Definitely not the same layout getting from Salt Lake. Well, to you know, us. in Colorado, it, we we were it was not a lot of yeah. ups and downs. I mean, you're just kind of traveling like this until you get to the mountains. But here, for our listeners, that's know. slight incline traveling. Yeah, because they they can't see what this is, right? They can't see what to. what is. All right. Anyway, so you're going up the hill. You don't have a lot of gas. You're in a horrible automobile. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That sums up. It's the a trip. great trip. Yeah. You're probably wondering how I got here. <laughs> so we uh, we drive. I guess it's about four hours um, into Pinedale, Wyoming. Um, I have a friend that lives there, and um, yet on the way, about one twenty a.m. We were passing through a beautiful small town oh, of LaBarge, Wyoming. I wasn't paying the best attention, I suppose. I'm guilty of that. But um, these roads out in the rural rural areas have a 70-mile-an-hour speed limit. I wasn't um, exceeding that too much. But we came into this small town where it quickly dropped mm. to 35 miles an hour. Oh, no. And the local peace officer um, <laughs> decided to uh, see what we were doing. At that speed, coming through his small town on July 4th, no doubt. Oh, man. Um, at one twenty in the morning. But we had a good interaction with him and turned out without a any sort of a citation, I guess you'd say, and um, continued on our way. But it was um, funny because he, he actually used that language. He said uh, something about, how did he say it? He said, uh, I appreciate you slowing down when you drive through my town. Yes, he did. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. He said, "He um, said I'm out here on July 4th looking for people drinking and driving. And, and Tin Man said, well, we don't drink. I said, but we do drive. <laughs> <laughs> Fast. And the flashlight yeah. went back to the back seat. <laughs> Where are you boys from? <laughs> we put a lot of responsibility on Tin Man. That, that night, because he drove the entire four hours after we landed to get us to Pinedale. Well, technically, you're still not approved to drive the yeah. car that you drove. So, so. you didn't hear anything. <laughs> I'd, I'd check the app every day, and he was still pending as an approved driver But <laughs> wow. while he was sitting behind the steering wheel. But, <laughs> Jorge <laughs> wasn't too concerned about his verse. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Took his money and ran. Yes. <laughs> still running. But we made it to Pinedale, spent mm-hmm. a few hours sleeping. Uh, and then the next day got up and, and drove another two hours, mm-hmm. I think it was, to the park. And So you were in the park for how many nights? Uh, well, we spent, I guess, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights yeah, in the backcountry. Okay. Yeah. We were supposed you... to stay four, but we were going to stay three in the park and then another night just in the National Forest. But by that fourth day when we came out, we actually took a side diversion, and this trip became a twofer. And so with the twofer, 
Um, it was getting late in the day, and so uh, we decided just to head on back to Pinedale that, that evening. Twofer. So, I know that by twofer, y'all went into Yellowstone on Thursday. Right. So what I want to know is the last time that we were all, well, the, the, any of us in here were collectively in Yellowstone, I believe you made a comment about how, ah, oh, I left my state parks or my national f- parks book, and I'm not able to get my Yellowstone stamp. Were you able to get your Yellowstone stamp this time? Around? Interesting question that you should ask that. I had my national parks book with me. <laughs> that was a... It, okay, well, let's, <laughs> Funny let's, that you should ask that interesting, interesting question. question. that you should ask that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had my national guess. parks book on this trip because I knew we were going to the Tetons. I had it with me when we drove up into Yellowstone, and I took it with me to the visitor center where the ranger was sitting outside the door because the visitor center is still closed wow. due to COVID. Wow. <laughs> and he's standing there. He's got junior ranger stuff, and he's got a stamp station to get a junior ranger stamp. But he says, oh, I'm sorry, to get your National Parks passport stamp, you'll have to go to the West Thumb office, which is where we had just left from touring around looking at the geysers and the cauldrons. So they Uh. didn't have the stamp at the visitor center. They had it at some random place, but yet he stood there, had a stamp for the national... It it don't make any sense. Sir, can you just put that stamp that you have right there, just just stamp it? Uh, So we would have had to drive back to Thumb, West Thumb, but, I mean, it was only... Two miles. Two miles, but at that point, you know, two miles felt like 20 so you have now been to Yellowstone twice in the last two years. Yes. And still no stamp for Yellowstone. Well, I've got stamps for Yellowstone from previous trips. I've got four visits to Yellowstone under my belt now. I actually bought my passport book at Yellowstone back in 2004. So anyway. Well, you know. So tell us, uh, tell us about your, your pack, your sleep system. What was that like? How different? How different was it utilizing some of the gear that we've talked about here before? Like, did you make any tweaks, adjustments while you were out there? What What did it look like? Man, I made a lot of tweaks and adjustments, but let me defer to the to our other two guests to answer first. My pack was heavier than it has been before, mainly because I had the bear canister, which you didn't actually need because they had bear boxes at all the campsites we were at. But I didn't bring anything to pack my food in, so I just decided to carry my bear canister anyways. How much How much weight did the bear canister itself add? Only had like two and a half pounds, I think, but yeah. it just took up my entire pack on us. It felt like, yeah. yeah. So that was the big tweak for him. Yeah, and my focus, I guess, was just trying to keep the weight down as much as possible. So, you know, runs it kind of ran the gamut. So, um, I had an old backpack from 2000. I probably purchased in the year 2000, showing my age a little bit. Um, way too big, and it weighed seven pounds. And so I knew that there were much lighter options out there on, you know, in the marketplace these days. And so I picked up a lighter pack that weighed about two and a half pounds. So it shaped oh. a lot of weight there. Oh, wow. That's a big. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then um, really trying to focus with Overtrex help on getting calorie dense foods. So, you know, he sent out some lists of foods that were high calorie um, per ounce of weight. And so I tried to pack a lot of those macadamia nuts you know, nut butters, things of that nature. And so really I just focused a lot on lightweight, not taking too much fluff. So, 
you know, whereas maybe around here I might have a couple different jackets. You know, he recommended just using your rain jacket, you know, as a layer. And so not having different layers of clothing and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. um, minimal changes of clothes, which raise the stink factor a little bit, but, but definitely who, cut who the weight. And, and I, I knew. Well, <laughs> so he, he's, he's made statements like that a lot, like, ah, nobody will know. And I, I typically have your your mindset as well. But when we went to when we went to Long's Peak last year, I think I had the clothes that I was wearing into the park, and then I had some sleep clothes. And that was that was the clothes that I had while we were in the park. And what more do you need? By the time I got out, now everybody in the visitor center probably could identify all three of us from a mile away. But I couldn't, so well, it's all that mattered to me. <laughs> Thursday at the visitor center or a store in Yellowstone, I felt like I was the star <laughs> of the show <laughs> because I could smell myself. From a distance. <laughs> it was bad. You start getting people that walk bad. up to you and say, sir, can I help? And before they even finish, you see them, they're already taking steps back. Yeah, like, I mean, it's like I didn't even pay with my credit card because <laughs> I wanted to speed up the transaction. Here's cash. I don't need Keep the change. Keep the change. Yeah, just, sir, you gave me a 20 and your bill was only $3. Let me get out of here. It's all I have. <laughs> you know, frankly, I just, I don't, I don't notice it. It's just part of being wild and natural. The employees, they go, ah, people living life. Yes. Customers. I didn't hear that. <laughs> you did? <laughs> yeah, you heard it. <laughs> well, I was pretty excited at our layout day before we left. So, you know, recommendation to all those aspiring backpackers, a good layout day, especially when you're taking people. A, you're taking people who haven't gone before. B, you're going to a location that's going to be drastically different than your normal areas, which this trip had both. Uh, the gentleman that's not with us today, this was his first backpacking trip ever. Which, so kudos to him for yeah. going big or going home right off the bat. So we were in the doing the layout, and I started pulling like uh, my canteen cover I normally use. I, I, I got rid of it. It's like it's military, you know. It's like an army one, and it has the insulation and everything. Uh, I got rid of two canteens and and just bought water like regular water bottles and that's what i used to carry my water in i didn't put the sleeping bag in a in a stuff sack i just stuffed it in the bottom of the pack in other words i eliminated a lot of things that you did you don't need i i did the old pyro bob cut my toothbrush in half i'm telling you that day in the layout i shaved two and a half pounds off my pack with all those non-essential items that I just had never thought about before. I even have that wet wet weather bag liner for my pack. And that thing's heavier. You would not what a, it was almost a pound and just taking that out, you know, so so you're gaining a lot of elevation on on this trip. We get to the park, but I tell you what were what were you guys' impression when we first drove in and you could see those mountains for the first time? Well, one of the things that we were going to think about before we came in today for the podcast was what was your most memorable moment and that was one of my most memorable moments is just coming into the park and seeing the Tetons just how massive they were and beautiful just there in front of you was intimidating it was intimidating absolutely especially when we got to the parking lot I think when you're even closer rather than just coming in out of Jackson but when you get up even closer it really becomes real and those are massive mountains but beautiful. Mm. And you just always wonder how you're going to make it up there. Just from the road, there's 
doesn't look like there's any possible trail to climb that mountain. No. Like you need to just start on the top out of a plane and just walk down. <laughs> <laughs> the way we travel, and, and you've done this before there, E.T., the way we travel is we take everything out of our packs. Now, you can just check your pack, but we take everything out of our packs and put it in a duffel and just check the duffel bag. So when we get there, one of the things we had to do was actually stop in Salt Lake City that night and buy our food and our fuel. So those types of items that we didn't just carry with us. Although, Tin Man carried most of his food with him. I did. Um, I just picked up a few small items there. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy who likes to have it all ready to go, have it in place. I don't like a lot of unknowns. So it was it was all there ready to go. See, that's what right, right there is what makes you a better logistics officer than the last guy that got tagged with that S4 designation on a super adventure. Mm-hmm. Because I don't operate that way. I'm more of a let's get there, let's figure out what we need once we get there, and then get it because I can't. I mean, I guess I could, but like my mind doesn't go into all the pre-planning. Sure. We need all of this, so let's get it beforehand. I'm more of a oh, we need this. Okay, let's go get it. You demand. Appreciate that. So what I want to know is, so you know, you're in you're in new area. You've got different terrain. You've got different wildlife as far as as flowers i know you've animal wildlife and stuff i guess in a to be out there you're seeing things that you can't see at home creation in a different way than what you can see out of your back window here like what were those thought processes for me it was just the scale of everything you know i've heard of people going to montana and it's called big sky country and i never really appreciated what was meant by that but i think i get a sense of that now and just you know, being able to reflect on it, it's just the massiveness of the landscape is just you could you could look on either side of you and probably see at times for 50 miles in any direction, which you can't do around here. Right. Again, just how big everything is. And it, it caused me to reflect on on the Lord and just the enormity of his creation. But I think somebody commented while we were there just how small it makes you feel, you know, in light of all that. So it was definitely a different uh, mindset of feeling small um, and it's just so rugged and wild and just a new experience for me really that was one of the the things that I think has resonated with me since coming back from Colorado last year and it's caused me to appreciate more even here the intricacies of, of what I see and to really have a have a full appreciation for this is the work of God I was going to segue more into your devotion for the week. You know, if you had a, a theme that, that you all did and did you meet at a certain time? I know our code trips in the past where we kind of have a theme beforehand that Overtrek you'll send out, and then we'll have a certain time designated each day where we all do our own devotion and kind of talk about it over the fire. Can you guys talk to us about that? Yeah, and I think that would give us an opportunity to describe the hike and the climb also because when you think about or talk about that specifically and then what I what I personally am learning on the trip, I think it all does go along with the trail itself and the experience of every day. So I'll ask Quiet Man and Tin Man to jump in on that as we go. But let me, let me just give you the summary of, for me, this became a trip where I was learning something about the kingdom life every day, but it really started on Monday morning 
Monday morning we got, you know, we'd had like three hours of sleep, but for some reason when we woke up at six or whatever, it felt pretty good. You know, at that point, the three hours was great, I guess because you're at the beginning of the trip, you're excited. But I went outside there at the, the house we were staying at in Pinedale, and if you've been out west, you know that there's places out there, as you were describing there, where you can just see forever. But where their house is, is completely surrounded by mountains in the distance. They just like all over. And and I didn't think about it so much until I read my morning reading that day. I was in reading Psalm 125. And verse 2 says, As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth and forever. And I just looked at that and said, wow, I mean, this this is a picture of God's you know, protection, God's presence in our life. Any direction you look, there are the mountains. And that's what the psalmist is describing, that God is all around us. We're surrounded by God. And that opened up my heart to that thought of kingdom life. Now, I didn't necessarily put that idea with it at that point, but that was our devotion that morning before we left. I just brought the guys out there and said, look at this. And, and uh, you know, we're surrounded by God. And so the beginning of the journey you know, was, was on, was on that thought. And then on Monday afternoon, I found myself, uh, off to, to your question. We did have our daily, I think most days, maybe Thursday, of course we didn't, we were traveling a lot, but where we would take an hour in the afternoon and just everybody go off to spend time with the Lord. And then we come back together, have, have supper and then, and then talk about what we had learned. But I was sitting up there on the hill. I'd found myself a, a place where I was secluded, pretty good distance from our camp and just pondering I was reading Mark chapter 4 Mark chapter 5 and in that that passage especially chapter 5 Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom and he gives these parables about what the kingdom is and there's this this connection between the the kingdom of God and nature or natural things and I was sitting out there thinking about that wow lord this is your kingdom right here here in the middle of these Woods and mountains in Wyoming, this is far away from all the strife. This is far away from all the politics, the social media, everybody arguing over this and that, the traffic. It's None of that's here. This is your kingdom. And in the kingdom of God, this is what it's made of. And, and so I thought, well, what is it made of? Well, it's made of beauty. This is God's beauty out here. I can see the beauty of God's kingdom. And it's made of peace. And as I was sitting there, I could hear the peace. I could hear the birds. I could hear the breeze blowing in the trees. And I could hear that waterfall and that creek that was running, which was amazing because that thing started as we climbed the next day. That, that creek, that water's coming all the way from the top of the Tetons. It's snow melt. And, and, and we're thousands of feet below that at that point. So it's got a lot of momentum. It's just rushing you know, through there. And I thought, this is peace. This is the kingdom of God. Now, let me say this, and I'll, I'll pause and let you guys jump in. The verse came to my mind, Romans 14, 12, I think it is, where Paul says, but the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And I was sitting there thinking, I, I can see that here. I can see that here. This is about the righteousness of God. I see it around me. It's about that peace. I can hear it and sense that. And then I thought, but you know, what about the joy? And I don't know if it was already the adjusting to altitude or what it was, but I was just sitting there realizing, yeah, I don't feel real joyful right now. That's odd. Here I am 
in this beautiful place. Lord, where's the joy? Is there something wrong with me? And am I missing something? I was pondering on that for a couple of seconds there, and then all of a sudden this butterfly appears, not majestically out of nowhere. He just, you know, this butterfly kind of hovered down over to my right by the pine tree and was just fluttering there. And in that moment, it was the Lord speaking to my heart and saying, there's the joy. And the connection that I was able to make was is that that butterfly just kind of fluttering in at that moment, that's the joy of the Holy Ghost. It's there all the time. Whether you feel it or not, that joy is in my abiding presence. And the cool thing was, the rest of the trip, when we were hiking the trail, and I don't know if you guys paid attention to this, random places out of nowhere, that same type of butterfly would just appear on the trail in front of me and just flutter along and lead the way for a little bit and then disappear. And every time that butterfly would show up, I'd say, there's the joy. There's the joy. And so that was really a great thing for me because we got God surrounding us. We're in his creation. And the kingdom is relating to God, relating to his creation. And that's where I was at by Monday, Monday afternoon. So for me, I had a lot of those same feelings, especially when we got to the meadows um, at a higher altitude, I think about 9,500 feet. I think it's 9,700. 9,700 feet. So I think it was affecting me physically. Um, Not much appetite. Had to force myself to eat a little bit. And so I think I was also at times thinking, Lord, where is the joy? But we were um, camped right beside that stream. I guess you'd call it a glacial stream, snowmelt stream, whatever, pure water from all this snowmelt. And um, I was reading John seven thirty eight, where um, the Lord's speaking, and he said, uh, He that believeth on me out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And so it was a constant reminder of that, that flowing water that um, our walk with the Lord, um, if, it's a, if it's correct, if we're obedient, it out of our belly or out of us shall flow uh, rivers of living water and of course he's talking about a spirit-led spirit-filled life um, in the next verse he explains that a little bit but um, that's where my mind was focused for a good deal of this time how to be um, filled with the spirit and living a life that's completely um, sold out to the Lord and and I will echo what you said about um, uh, being out there away from the distractions and I shared this with some of the men when we we're on the trip you're out there you're away from work you know, where you're getting, you know, 150 emails a day and phone calls, all this stuff, all that's taken away. You know, you're out of your comfort zone, but all those distractions are gone. And I tend to, I guess, in my day to day, think, you know, I'm going to figure this out. I've got, I have to do this. I have to do this, that I have to figure this out. But out there, I think there's a bigger God dependence. Mm-hmm. You're really, um, there were times on the ascent up, going up into what's called the saddle and all and coming back down. There's nothing else you can do except pray to the Lord in, in some of those situations. And um, so for me, that was a very important spiritual reminder that the Lord is in control. It's not about me. And I think it exposed to me or reminded me of how prideful that I can be and trying to rely on myself at many times at, in, and in many situations when I really ought to be just giving it over to the Lord. So that was a big lesson I took away from the trip. Coming off what Garrett just said, like the thing of relying on God, one of the biggest lessons I think I learned was on, I guess it was Wednesday, after we were coming back down the mountain, after we were about down, 
uh, Josh and Garrett had finally made it up around the snow and came back down. We were all kind of worried down there waiting on them to make sure they didn't cause an avalanche or slip or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And when Garrett back down, got back down there, he, like we were talking about how the mountain really brought out your prayer life. You're constantly praying, asking God to hold off this storm, make it go around the mountains, just bring them down safely. And then when he got down there, he mentioned something about oftentimes we'll pray these little prayers, asking God to do this for us. Well, you send the storm around, and then he answers it, but we never think anything else about it, never give him credit. Just realizing that God answered those prayers, he brought us down safely, and we should give him the credit for that. He's always answering even the little things or whatever it is. We should give him the credit when he answers the prayer. Yeah, we we really ought to... That that point that they just both uh, brought out was so true because by Wednesday afternoon, I noticed in my um, in my journaling and my you know of my devotions, my thoughts and stuff, I, I sort of <clears throat> I didn't write anything down on on Wednesday, which was weird, uh, or maybe n- nothing after that morning. And when I came back uh, from the off the the mountain, I had just wrote down that. The only thought that I had, and which I shared with you guys in our devotion time, was I spent my whole time just thanking God. You know, I, I couldn't like get a thought on like reading the scriptures and something. I just kept going back to thank you, Lord, for doing that for us today. Because as Quiet Man said, it was you know safety for everybody, but we the storm coming in because these guys were were doing that treacherous last climb to avoid the snow because we didn't have the proper equipment to do to to descend in the snow and not only are they as he said climbing over with this very loose rock that you're looking at thinking if they take one bad step up there there's going to be a rock slide and we were standing at the bottom of that looking up at them which we eventually moved over to the right you're doing good guys keep it up (laughs) and then you know rock slide thunderstorm and lightning you're still up on the high high up on the side of an exposed mountain lord you got to get us out of this yeah it was definitely the toughest part for me was that last climb Um, i remember us making the decision josh and i to go up and around this this snowbank and it's what vertically i don't know two three hundred feet i don't know Maybe that's an yeah, over-exaggeration. Yeah, a couple hundred feet. Yeah, and, but you're climbing boulders that are huge, and, and there was no gas left in my tank at all. And uh, just trying to make it, it's, it's, almost like, it's almost like a microcosm of the Christian life. You know, Lord, I just need to make it this little bit. Help me make it, you know, 10 more feet. Small day-by-day progress. But getting down and getting around, just like you said, was thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And that's about all I had, too, at that point, was just to thank the Lord for his goodness and his protection and getting us down off that mountain. Talking about that kingdom life, there was a third element of it that on Tuesday morning before we um, before we started our climb up to the meadows, I had read Psalm 133, and it it just spoke to my heart as, here's your next lesson. In Psalm 133, verse 1, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And that morning before we broke camp, I was telling them, you know, this this kingdom life, it's about our relationship to God, the one who surrounds us. It's about our relationship with his creation and learning to work with it and respect it, which we're doing on this trip. But the Lord is also showing us that it's about our relationships with one another. And 
how important that was going to be for us on Wednesday. Really, the whole trip, you're, you know, and you guys know this on any trip, you're, you're counting on each other physically to some degree. In this, this environment, it's, it ups the physical a lot because you're really needing each other to help you get through the experience. But we're always relying on each other spiritually and emotionally and, you know, just to keep each other encouraged. But to dwell together in unity, literally to sit down together or to abide as a unit is what that verse means. And that's how we had to operate, especially on Wednesday. We had to abide as a unit in that thing. So I told them before we broke camp Wednesday morning to make our climb to the summit, I said, today's the day. We're going to see all of this come together today. Our, our relationship with God, our relationship with creation, our relationship with one another. But boy, I wouldn't have imagined how clearly that lesson would be brought to us by the time we got back down to camp that day. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, I found myself relying on, on you when we had a decision to make. Um, you know, do you go across this ice field without the proper equipment or do you take what is a tougher physical challenge and go up and around and and I thank you for your encouragement and I think we that was the right decision in the end but had you not been there um, who knows what decision I would have made so we I felt I was truly relying we were relying on one another for that Josh may have made the wrong decision too so yeah. appreciate that he he might have made a couple of wrong decisions anyway <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, we were all kind of concerned about Josh's state of mind by the time we were getting back down the mountain so the the climb up in fairness it was our first time in that environment so from camp literally now you've already climbed a couple thousand feet i don't remember what the yeah. trailhead starts at but it's probably around seven so you're getting close to three thousand feet of gain you've already made and to get to the top you've got to make another 3100 feet yes so, so it's 9700 to the summit it's 12800 and I'm telling you, it is, is it, I know the listener can't see my hand here, but is it any stretch to say that it's this, the entire 3,000 feet? I don't think that's a stretch. There might be a break or two where it got, kind of does this for a moment, but there it's just. There some where it broke and went up to 90 degree angles. Yeah, it's, it, it was, it was ridiculous. And it's boulders and rock, pretty much 90% of it. Yes. Yeah, but 10% snow and ice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Slick. You know, we had, we had been told and we had read, hey, you need crampons, ice axe are recommended. But, you know, it's it's middle July. You know, we're thinking probably not bad. And even when we got on the ground, people are saying, you know, we had the least snow this year. It's the hottest yeah. summer in this area. So we're thinking, well, we'll be in good shape. I'm telling you, I would not do it again without the ice axe at least. I mean, what we had were the, the cleats. I, I don't know the exact term for those. They weren't crampons, but yeah. they provided some traction. But the ones that I have are designed just for walking across normal ground in snow and ice, not for climbing, you know, 45-degree angles in snow. <laughs> but they helped. But if we'd have had the ice axe, it would have made a big difference. Going up was just was not bad. You just have to go slow. you got your trekking poles. It was coming down on the snow that was very treacherous. And that's when catastrophe nearly struck us yes we were uh i don't know halfway down maybe when we hit that spot in that snowbank. and if we could have stayed in the snow coming down we would have, you know it's just pretty much a straight shot down you kind of angle down the snowbank, take a right turn the last snowbank, and you're back to the st- the boulder field area at the bottom but here we are going across the snow and i'm leading the way i've got poles and the cleats and i lose a foot 
and I'm down, you know. And when you when you're sliding, you're heading towards rock boulders, so you don't want to hit those fast and hard. So you know you're digging in elbows and uh, you know your poles, and you're trying to slow your your uh, slide. And I made it down. I, about the time I get up and and can turn around and look, quiet man has lost footing and he's coming down. Now the the inquiring minds want to know, Tin Man. Yes. Did you just decide to slide down at that point on purpose, or did you also lose footing? Yes. I, I thought it was best to have a controlled descent, you know, so I slid on purpose. Um, if I remember correctly, there was a rock there, and it was icier around the rock, and right. you had given some advice, you know, don't go over top of it, I think you said, go under, I can't remember which it was. Yeah, probably was one of the moments that if I had to do over again, <laughs> Which, you know, I felt the uncertainty in his advice, and I thought, hey, let's just, if you can't beat them, join them. And so uh, a controlled slide, I would say. So. And then Josh decided to slide on purpose, too, but it was anything but controlled. It was not controlled. <laughs> Very little control. Yeah. I've got a picture of him sliding up at the top where we, you know, we decided to slide on purpose because it was a pretty safe place just to yeah. go down the hill in the snow. But it in that picture, he looks like the way he looked coming down that point. But he, it was not controlled, and he was like this, you know, arms flapping everywhere. One of his uh, trekking poles gets he, – he tries to plant it in the snow. Well, he plants it and leaves it behind him as he's sliding down. His second trekking pole gets bent and then breaks off. But he, he comes down, and he fortunately his craziness slowed him down enough that when he hit the rock – it didn't break anything, but he hits the rock with his feet. He comes up, flips over, lands on his hip on another <laughs> yeah. another rock. Goodness. He hit it hard enough that it messed up his knife that he had on his hip. Wow. And we're forgetting about way up top of the saddle when he <laughs> fell there and uh, caught himself with his bolts. I, oh, I guess yeah, he fell yeah, twice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was the most um, dangerous. That, yes, I was describing event. to you up at the top of, up at the saddle. There's that snowbank that comes, and we were trying to get them two across because you know Quiet Man and Josh had no traction at all except just their hiking boots and poles, and Josh lost it there, and he started down that hill. And I'm telling you, I'm already down below that. Just dig in, dig in, you know. And he's he gets it in there and gets stopped. Because I mean, if he goes over this one, it's we, bad. He ain't walking out. No. Mm. And he, he no. starts to get himself back up, and you just oh, uh, then he slips again and goes down further, and, and it didn't look like he was going to get himself stopped that no. time. And you weren't, you said you weren't looking when he fell the first time. You saw the second one, yeah. Ah. And I was praying. I mean, that that was one one moment where I just felt, Lord, this is in your hands. I mean, it really was. Mm. And I'm thinking that experience too for me. I can, I can't. I how am I going to look his mama in the face? <sighs> when we get home so we you see why we're thanking the lord that day when we got down at the bottom i mean it was something else so but we can't avoid talking about the summit experience i mean it's all about getting to the top right nathaniel and i made it to the top first and it was really uh, right there at that final right final few seconds before and i and i was ahead of him and we because we sort of spaced ourselves out because that final 400 foot of climb was just like you know almost the 90 degrees and all of just loose rock so you're you're trying not to kick anything to the people below you and uh, so we had spaced ourselves out a little bit and I got up there and 
about the time I got to the summit, I heard him say, hey, it's snowing. And sure enough, there was a flurry of snow that come down. And it, just, it didn't last probably a minute and was over. But it was pretty cool to, you know, get to the summit and a little bit of snow come down. But what was more concern was as we got to the summit, uh, you know, we look off to the action here, maybe north, northwest, there is a rain and storm clouds right over there. And you're thinking, okay, great. Now we've got to the summit just in time to get struck by lightning. <laughs> well, to be honest, the summit experience itself was kind of disappointing, mainly because there's an addition of worrying about Josh coming up. He was the last one of those three, and he looked like he was in pretty rough condition. So I was worried about him. Yeah. The storm was coming. I was worried about getting struck by lightning. It's a tiny summit. There's just one boulder, pretty much. This steep drop-offs all around, so that makes you kind of uneasy. And you got other people climbing up on the other sides. So you gotta get off real quick. See, so, the summit itself was, I mean, it was cool. Guys, nice be up there, see the view, but it's kind of disappointing. The entire hike itself, maybe like the saddle view, I think was more exhilarating, mm-hmm. more fun. Well, a life lesson right there. You know, it's it's the journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, the summit's cool. It's the achievement, but I agree with him. I mean, we didn't stay up there long. Because, as he said, there were already a, a couple coming up the other side. So we wanted to get out of their way. and you Plus, know. my phone. As soon as I got up to the top of the mountain, my phone quit working. Couldn't take any pictures. <laughs> but I want to go back to something that I wanted to ask Tin Man. And sure. you probably already answered this. But that afternoon when you and Josh were making your way slowly down that treacherous mountain and we were waiting on you at the bottom, as you got down there, you said... You said, Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this? And so far he hasn't answered. <laughs> I'm just wondering, as you're reflecting back, did you get your answer? Yeah, to, to me, I, what I feel the Lord taught me on that day was um, I go back to this pride thing. You know, it was all dependence on the Lord. I truly feel like I didn't get myself down that mountain. I think it was the Lord that got me safely down that mountain. Again, looking back, there's no way I should have been able to make it up that rock face and around. Just my fatigue level was just off the charts. I started the day before we even went up. I hadn't eaten for a couple of days, really, and I I had no gas in the tank. And to somehow get down the mountain safely, again, leaning on my brothers for advice and, and help. But that's what the Lord taught me, just that he got me through all that, just to depend on him. And it's not about me. I've learned more just listening to y'all, getting a, a good feel of what you learned, what the trip was like. Definitely sounds like you guys had a really, really special time with the Lord, but also with each other as well. The last thing that I'll ask, and this will be in, in a summary closing question, you know, so you've done it, you conquered the Middle Teton. After all, all the good, the bad, the lessons you've learned, the difficulties, would you ever do anything to that level again? No, bigger. <laughs> Everest is on the charts now. All right. <laughs> no, I would not. <laughs> I think for me, I like the challenge, but I like a, I guess, a drawn-out longer challenge, maybe a week of distance hiking and that kind of thing. What what I struggled with was just the intensity of, you know, three miles – I'm sorry, a half mile up and three miles – of hiking it was just very very intense it was physically intense so that's something revealing you have discovered that you're more inclined to extended through hiking rather than a a compacted very intense short distance yeah 
That's just my preference. It yeah, was really – Well, rather than – uh, well, this mountain ain't going to climb yeah. itself. Yeah. <laughs> He's more of a, well, we got 85 miles and this – that, see, that doesn't seem appealing to me at all. And that's, that's one thing that's good to reveal, you know, different strokes for different folks. Yeah. But get out there and do something. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this was the 2021 Code Super Adventure. So we will be talking 2022 next. And on this trip, we had some discussion about that. We talked about – you know, Nathaniel and I started this three years ago, just our trip to Grand Canyon for his graduation. So, you know, we've talked about different places over the years, and he keeps bringing up the gateway to the Arctic in Alaska, which is true wilderness. And I don't even know what all the experience out there would be other than snow. Yeah. And no, mosquitoes. Of snow. And mosquitoes the size of dogs. In Alaska? <laughs> <laughs> mosquitoes the size of dogs. Enormous mosquitoes and they're everywhere oh and they probably they may have grizzly bears <laughs> tell me more yeah you remember the polar bear grizzly bear <laughs> mix the grizzly bear the grizzly and bear. you did you guys didn't even ask us about the wildlife that we saw but we checked off everything except the grizzly mm. we got the elk the buffalo the black bear the moose the mountain goat Mule deer, antelope. mule deer, the antelope, Sasquatch. Yeti. The only one we missed was the grizzly bear. Huh. So, but anyway, we we also talked about a plains. You know, Nathaniel said after we got down on Wednesday, he said, you know, I think next year we should just go out to the Great Plains <laughs> and do something flat. So that might be more your line right there. Yeah, across the Dakotas. But as long as there's no snow and ice, I'm gotcha, probably yeah. game. Yeah, we're taking yeah. ice axes the next time we scale mountains in July. Huh. Anyway, all right, wonderful. John Muir said the mountains are calling and I must go. Great godfather of the code right there. Yep. So it's been a great episode going back, uh, re- re- refreshing ourselves and remembering our trip. Jorge's Versa got us through the uh, trip to to the Grand Tetons. We climb Middle Teton, 2,804 feet to the top, and we're back home safely at the undisclosed location. Until next time, this is Mike Overtrek Barnett saying happy trails to all of you. This is Roland Napoleon, and you are welcome. This is Nathaniel, the quiet man Barnett, saying, well, not very much. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the Tin Man in honor of Jorge's Versa, I will say adios y hasta luego. <laughs> and this is Corey Easy Target Cantrell saying thanks for joining us. See you next time. In the heart of a champion, there is a fire. And the flames are controlled. champion